Hey y'all, you're listening to Crying and Trying, the podcast, the comprehensive guide for cultivating emotional intelligence in a fucked up world. This podcast focuses on how oppressive systems and the human experience interact and impact our mental health. As a disclaimer, I am not a licensed mental health care professional or an expert. I am just one human who has lived through the mental health experience, sharing my story and giving my advice. Please, if you or someone you know needs help, seek it out immediately by a professional. I will have hotlines, warm lines, and other support resources available in the show notes. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Crying and Trying. I am your host, Lexi, and today with me, I have Jennifer Brennan, who is actually also a podcaster. She is many things. She's a personal trainer, a coach, an all-around good human. She's a wife, um, a great friend. Uh, She's kind of doing it all. But Jen's podcast is called Skin Deep with Jennifer Brennan. um, And it is focused on uh, fitness and uh, a lot of other things that kind of tie into that kind of like how this podcast talks about mental health and all the different things that can tie into that. Um, So welcome, Jen. We're very glad to have you. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on your podcast. Um, So excited to have you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I I actually was fortunate enough to meet you through um, one of our mutual friends, Sam, and um, you were actually on one of my first podcasts. And then, um, now I get to be on yours. So I get to kind of return the favor or vice versa. I'm not sure which, but, um, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, me too. And it's kind of funny because you were one of the people who really gave me the push to do my podcast. Like I Uh think when we had recorded, um, for yours, I was still mulling over the idea and I was like, I don't know if I want to do it. I kind of do. I'm not sure. And um, being a guest on yours really showed me that it wasn't as scary as I was making it out to be in my head um, and kind of gave me that push. So thank you for uh, bringing that opportunity onto my plate because now here we are and it's come full circle. (laughs) And you're doing it. Yeah, I'm doing the thing. Mm -hmm. All right. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about your podcast? You can get a a nice little plug in. Oh gosh. Well, um, I'm I know not you're sure. on a pause. I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure that I should be plugging the podcast at this point. Um, I will anyways. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it is, um, it's called skin deep with Jennifer Brennan. It's, um, it, it's mostly fitness wellness related, but not in a, uh, super serious way. It's more lighthearted and there's a lot more interjected sort of about, general life stuff and, um, mental health issues and like just sort of more of a down to earth. Um, I like to think humorous and relatable approach to fitness and wellness, as opposed to like, we're not, we're not giving out super scientific advice over there. (laughs) It's not like super clinical. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely more casual. And, um, I am a, a certified personal trainer, um, a certified health coach and, um, somebody who kind of came to fitness in an unusual way because I sort of grew up always being like the, 
the heavy, I mean, I'll just say it. Like I was the fat girl. I was always the heavy girl. I was morbidly obese at one point. And so like my journey to sort of get here mm-hmm. has been really long and strange. And it made me think like, oh, I want to talk about this. And yeah. so that's why I started the podcast. And at, the more that I talked about it, I think the more that I started to find out that we all kind of wrestle with the same stuff mm-hmm. um, when it comes to the world of fitness, exercise, um, body image, wellness. mental health, wh- wellness, and how that all ties in together. And there's a lot, I think, there that needs to be talked about, um, mm-hmm. because I think that there's lots of good information about there, but there's also some really bad toxic, damaging, um, stuff out there. So I was hoping to be one of the more, um, relatable voices, I guess, Mm -hmm. in that space. Um, so yeah, we are, I've been, I'm one of those people that's like, I start a project, but then I want to start another project. So I, I've been, um, kind of working on something else creatively right now. Um, oh, I know, I know I won't say any more yet, but, um, <laughs> I've been working on a different project. Uh, the podcast, I just kind of like on a little hiatus, um, yeah. definitely not done with it, but I, I have something that sort of jumped ahead of it in terms of like my creative, um, attention, I'll say. So yeah, I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. That's really exciting. But I get like the podcast takes a lot of energy and a lot of time and focus. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, absolutely. Sorry to interrupt you. I, I was just going to say too, like, I, I'm, I'm trying to do a little bit of everything, but I have, um, you know, two, a couple jobs Mm -hmm. at the same time too, that I'm trying to juggle. So it's like, I only have so much time and energy and like, as you know, and as you said, it does take time and, and thought, and it can be draining too. Cause some of the stuff that we talk about is like, Oh gosh, heavy. It's yeah. so heavy. I need to go take a shower afterwards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, like you had also started, I think your trailer is like, I can quit anytime I want. Right. Like, yeah, so I just came into it with the mindset that like, you know, I'm going to do this for me and for fun. And like, it's not super serious. I don't have to like have an episode out every week. And I really like that you've stuck true to that. Like you know, your whole life isn't about the podcast. You have other things to do. And like, I think that's great that you, I knew knew from the beginning that I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna try to hold myself to like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna put out an episode every week faithfully for the rest of my life. Like that's not (laughs) realistic. Um, I was just kind of like, I'm gonna do it when I want to do it. And if I need to take a break, I'll take a break because, um, I'm definitely a person who will, put a lot of pressure on myself in every area of my life. So I kind of said going into that, that like, if I'm going to do this, I need to be relaxed about it. It can't be another thing that's going to be stressful and difficult because I mean, I already have enough of that going on. So (laughs) like, we don't need to add more onto that plate. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. All right. So Today we're talking about um, eating disorders and how those can affect your mental health and how your mental health can affect um, disordered eating habits or your your eating habits in general. Um, so 
I'm not sure where you want to start, Jen, if you want to start with like your mental health history or your, um, your physical journey, um, whatever you think makes the most sense. Okay. Well, um, I think that when we were talking about this episode, um, the real question is how do, you know, how do eating disorders or disordered eating and mental health issues, like what is the interplay between the two? Mm -hmm. And as I started to think about that, um, I had to remember, and I had to remind myself that eating disorders are, um, mental health disorders. Mm -hmm. Like they, they are the same thing. So, (laughs) you know, like I had to remind myself that, um, the things, some of the things that I struggled with, whether it was binge eating, um, anorexia, Mm -hmm. exercise, bulimia, those, those are mental health issues. So, um, there's no way to to unravel the two. They're all, it's all connected. And so, um, I had to start there. And then I, I actually was doing like a little bit of research about, um, eating disorders and mental health. And mm-hmm. I was surprised to see, and I don't know if you, I don't know if this is common knowledge or not, but it turns out that, um, the most lethal eating, or, sorry, the most lethal mental illness is anorexia. Mm. Yeah. And, I actually, I came across that recently too. And I was very surprised by that. Yeah. I thought for sure that I was thinking, you know, maybe depression or something like that. Um, I didn't, it didn't occur to me. And it turns out that it's because anorexia is so hard to treat Yeah, and it really just does so much damage to your body that it's, it's, the most fatal, um, mental health issue. And I, and I, that made me kind of be like, oh, you know, this is a mental health issue. So there's no, um, sort of unraveling the two they're both together. And, and I guess my history with, um, sort of all of it, I'll give you just like the brief overview, and then we can kind of take it in any direction that you want. But, um, I, my earliest, earliest memories are, uh, anxiety. (laughs) I mean, I was for sure, um, an anxious and depressed child Mm -hmm. and of course not diagnosed at the time, but looking back, um, I can see like everything that I did was just, I was a little ball of anxiety for as long as I can remember. Um, and, and like, still, you think it's just part of your personality and I still like, am. Yeah. And I thought everyone was like that. Yeah. And, um, I just, I didn't, I didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we learn now as we grow up, like what is actually like, what the fuck is actually going on with us? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, Oh, I was, I was an anxious four-year-old. Like I was a depressed six-year-old. Okay. Um, so I, I think my earliest memories are, um, needing in it, the way that played out for me was like needing to be perfect in Uh everything that I did. I was, um, I was reading like super young because I spent a lot of time by myself. So like, I kind of learned to read and, um, that turned into like needing to get perfect grades all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, if I didn't get an A plus or like a hundred, I felt like a failure. And 
um, was very anxious, like would be throwing up at school, that, all of that stuff. And, and the funny thing about it was that it always felt like it was coming from me. There was no pressure from my parents. You know, I was kind of like a latchkey kid. Yep. Um, my dad wasn't really in the picture. My mom worked um, late. So I was, you know, home by myself starting very young. And like, it was always me. It wasn't, my mom didn't put any pressure on me. It always felt like it was this internal um, yeah. pressure. And like in therapy, I've, my therapist has been like, well, what is that? where did that voice come from that told you that you had to be perfect? Mm -hmm. And my answer was always, it's always felt like it was in me. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's true or not, but I can't assign that to anyone else. It's always felt very internal. Yeah. Um, so I guess this has been with me my whole life. I didn't start to seek help for it, um, until I was an adult and the eating stuff started um, very young as well. And for me, it started with um, overeating and binge eating, which also started super young. Like my first memory um, of having a binge eating episode was I was in first grade. So I was probably six years old, um, home alone after school. And I remember just like turning on the TV and getting all kinds of food, any food or anything I could find out of the cabinets, like putting it all on the coffee table, turning on the TV and just eating as much as I could for as long as I could until mom got home. And mm -hmm. that was what I would do after school. And I, I think it was like, that was my comfort. Mm -hmm. Um, so it all sort of happened at the same time. I was anxious. I needed comfort. So I turned to food and that's where it started. Um, that pattern sort of continued until um, later on when it took a sharp, sharp turn. And then I turned more to the restrictive side of it. So um, that's kind of where this started, um, where... <laughs> Where I could go in a million directions from here. So yeah. what else do you think would be like helpful to, to dig into about that? Um, yeah, I, you're totally right. This could go in a million different directions, but I think the point that you had about how eating disorders are mental health, like they are mental health disorders is so mm -hmm. important because I don't think people classify them as such when they are thinking about them. Like eating disorders are seen as like a physical thing yeah, often yeah. because it has to do with food and your body. Um, and so I think it's really important that like, you know, we are saying like there is a huge connection. These are mental health conditions and it's directly related. Like after you did some reflection, you're like, oh yeah, you know, I was anxious. I needed that comfort. So I turned to food and I feel like, you know, a lot of people do the same sort of thing without realizing it. Like food is a comfort thing in whatever way that they are um, utilizing it. And also like on the other end of it, exercise. Like a lot of people use that as like a coping mechanism for their mental health. And like when they, and then they mm -hmm. you know, go to the extremes of either side. Um, so I am not really sure what direction we want to go. I think it might be interesting to talk about like, um, 
you know, how you have learned to cope with some of these disordered eating habits. And uh, yeah. if you've had any, have you been officially diagnosed by a medical professional or is it has it? Yes. After the okay. fact. So I'll, I'll okay. tell you, I'll go into like a little bit more about, um, so there's just, there's so much here. And yeah. um, <laughs> as I reflect back, so I, you know, growing up, um, I continued to just eat a lot not move very much, mm-hmm. um, get bigger and bigger and bigger. Like in, um, high school, I, I think from the start of high school to the end of high school, I probably gained close to like 150 pounds. Oh, wow. Um, like I just ate constantly and I got a job and I worked at Dunkin' Donuts and I was like, yes, like comfort. (laughs) And I, you know, I could, I ate there and then I had access to money, which allowed me to buy more food and more food and more food and like driving around to different um, fast food restaurants and like hitting all the Mm drive-thrus and just, just a a mess. Like I was just, I was just fucking around with food and (laughs) like in such a, in a way now that it's just so like bananas to think about, but, um, yeah. So it was binge, 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 um, got to college, continued the same thing. Um, I hit my, I would say lowest, uh, moments in college. I w- it's like when I was my largest, um, my sleep schedule was all screwed up. So like I would stay up all night, um, still needing to be perfect, still needing to get perfect grades, editing the school, the daily school newspaper, and then mm-hmm. just like eating for comfort. Um, and then due to like a couple different things that happened in my life, I had to make the decision that like, this has got to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and that switch, I, I kind of stopped with the binging and I, I made this, the switch of like, I'm going to start taking care of myself. And there's a whole lot that went into that, but basically I started tracking my food. Um, and I started going to the gym and that when you're, you know, 350 plus pounds, when you start doing that, you can lose a lot of weight really quickly. Yeah. And so I was early twenties, um, started exercising and tracking my calories at the same time. And I could lose 10 pounds a week. Like yeah. it was fast at first. Um, and it started in a healthy mm-hmm. way. And that's why these things are so sneaky because, um, they are idolized. They're mm-hmm. promoted. Um, going to the gym is healthy. Uh-huh. Um, eating well is healthy and revered and, um, you're seen as clean and good if you, you know, have a good diet or a clean diet. And uh-huh. I mean, it's, that's like, it, it's healthy and it's idolized. And so it's so tricky with eating disorders because it's a very, uh, slippery slope. Yeah. Between healthy and unhealthy. Um, and it's tricky to know when you've gone too far Yeah, because your brain tells you that this is a good thing I'm doing. And, um, I would say like, unlike not to minimize any of these other addictions, but 
you know, unlike smoking or drinking or something like Mm. that, you have to have food multiple times a day, you know, you have to interact with it as part of your life. And so there's, there's no saying I'm just going to not do this anymore. You know, it's always going to be an issue. Yeah. You're uh, always going to have to eat. You're always going to have to fuel your body. And so I think that that's what makes it more, not more challenging, but it adds like an extra layer of challenge to this type of condition, because it's not like, you know, if you're an alcoholic, you can choose to not be around alcohol. If you um, were a smoker, you can choose not to put yourself in a situation where you're going to be exposed to cigarettes, but like, we're always going to need food. And so you can avoid those triggers if this is something that you are dealing with. Yeah. And again, it's like not to minimize those other things. It's definitely definitely not easy. It's just, um, I have to interact with food all the time. Mm or I'll die. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. right. So, <laughs> um, so like I, I had, I, you have to have it in your life, but it eventually what it turned into for me. And, and this is where it changed from, I will say like the overeating and the binging, mm-hmm. um, into anorexia. And, um, I was never bulimic. Um, not because I didn't try, I tried, I just wasn't, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was gross. And I, I wasn't able to do it. And so I, um, got very restrictive, um, with food. Uh, it was all calorie math. So this was before, um, macro tracking became super popular and it was calories in calories out. So you describe what macro tracking is really quick for people that don't know. Sure. So, um, macro tracking is when you, uh, keep track of macronutrients. So the main macronutrients would be protein, carbs, and fat. And, um, people who track macros will try to hit certain targets of their daily calorie calorie goals being allotted to protein, carbs, and fat. And so, um, there's a couple of different ways to do that, but one of the common phrases is, like if it fits your macros, it's okay to eat. So mm-hmm. as long as you're falling, you're still getting the protein, carbs, and fat in the percentages that you're hitting, that you're trying mm-hmm. to hit, um, then you're good. And so macro tracking has become more popular, I would say in the past, um, gosh, I don't know. I mean, everyone's talking about it now, but mm-hmm. <laughs> in the past five and 10 years, I would say, but at, for me, it was just, I wasn't thinking about um, I can say I never thought about carbs, protein, or fat. I just thought about calories, calories <laughs> and in, calories out. Calories in, calories out. And um, I think what it was is that for the first time, when I when I lost weight, and mm-hmm. just to clarify for people, um, I'm currently about um, almost 200 pounds lighter than where I was at my heaviest, mm-hmm. and um, like I'm a, I'm a tall person. I'm 5'11 and I'm like, I'm a big, large framed person, but mm-hmm. I'm, I can't imagine. I, I still feel sometimes that I am that size that I used to be. And so that's a whole other topic of, you know, body dysmorphia and stuff. Yeah. But, um, I felt for the first time really ever, like I was getting praise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was getting attention I felt proud of myself um, as I started to be able to accomplish more and more physically. I felt more proud of myself. Yeah. And it became a really rewarding thing. And yeah. I 
felt good and I felt proud and I wasn't used to feeling good or proud. Uh Um, And so I got hooked on that feeling Uh and eventually um, even when I had reached a point where I was at a healthy weight for my frame, um, which for me, someone my size and my uh, like body structure, um, I sit most happily around between, um, I would say like 170, 180 uh-huh. is, and not to trigger people with numbers, everybody's different. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's what some people might consider like, oh, that's, that's a lot like a high weight. Like people uh-huh. will say like, oh, shouldn't you be thinner than that? I mean, the shit people say to you as a personal trainer oh, is, is yeah. horrendous. Like what, what do you mean you weigh that much? And it's like, um, but for me, that's a really happy place with my body. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm definitely thicker. I have more muscle and stuff like that. But, um, so when I reached that set point or that sort of happy place, it wasn't enough. Mm. And that's when, um, it started to get really dark Mm -hmm. for me. Um, I just wanted to keep losing and keep losing. And I, would restrict. And towards the end of that period, every day looked exactly the same. Um, it was the same foods I had, I had safe foods. I knew exactly how many calories were in every bite that went into my mouth every day. Um, there was very little deviation in, (laughs) in those meals. Yeah. I chewed a pack of gum a day just to try to um, quell the hunger. Like while I was working, I was always chewing gum. I went to the gym directly after work. I told myself I couldn't leave the gym until the cardio machines told me that I had burned a thousand calories. Uh, so, so many, I was, I was there. Yeah. I was there for quite a while. I couldn't go home until I had burned a thousand calories, um, or else I wouldn't have earned my right quote unquote to Uh eat dinner. Um, which was also the same thing every day. So um, when I think about this time, it just feels, it's dark and heavy and cold and um, very isolating. I got sick, you know, I, with anorexia, uh, you, the physical effects of it are, there's tons of them, but the ones that I started to notice where I lost my period. Hmm. Um, I lost my period for a year. And essentially what that is, is when you're not giving yourself enough fuel, your body starts to uh, shut down the things that aren't essential to your survival. Right. And so my body was saying, well, there's no way you could, you can't carry a a baby. You're, Uh you can barely even stay alive. So we're going to take that function right off the table. Um, My hair started to fall out Uh because you don't need hair to survive. So that's going to start to fall out. And, um, just, I started to just get weak. I was cold all the time, Mm -hmm. trouble sleeping, all of it. And I was not actively like going to the doctor or dentist or anything at this point, because I knew I was, I knew I was in a bad place. Um, and people were telling me, you know, you look sick. Yeah. Uh, my boyfriend at the time was like, just kind of terrified about what was going on, but he didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, no one knew what to do. And there was nothing that 
looking back, I don't think there was anything that anyone could have told me to change, that, to change it. I mean, other than, you know, maybe getting professional help. Yeah. There was nothing that anybody who loved me could say to pull me out of that. Inside. Like it's all yeah. stuff that you personally have to deal with. And I think that that is where it really becomes apparent that it's a mental health issue because that's the same thing I feel like with mental health. Like if you're not invested in making a difference or making a change in it, nothing is going to happen. Like people could tell you like, oh, you just be happy, just be happy all day. But until you start doing the work, like nothing will change. Just like with this, you had to be like, okay, like I need to do something. And you know, it's in one ear out the other with whatever people are telling you because your brain is so hyper-focused on this unattainable goal, you know? Yeah. And and what was so um, hard about it too, is that even at my lowest weight, um, I was still like, you know, if you looked me up on a chart, uh, Mm -hmm. like in a doctor's office, my my lowest weight, you know, I hate those two. I was still, you know, there could be someone at that weight and my height that could be perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. But for me, I was dying. Yeah. Um, I was, but again, I mean, I was a size four, which is totally normal and healthy for some people. And it's not a problem at all. And so I was like, oh, this is fine. Right. Because I'm still, I still Mm. fall in somewhere on a chart where something on a piece of paper is telling me I'm normal. Yeah. And like a size four is a perfect size to be you know, uh, conventionally, some people are a size zero. So of course I'm fine. Right. Forget that my hair is falling out. Forget that I haven't had a period in a year. Forget that I'm like shivering all the time. Forget all that stuff because, you know, I'm fine. And I, that's what I told myself, um, when it did get really dark because I didn't know how to let go of if losing weight was making me feel good about myself, mm-hmm. I wanted to keep doing it. It was like your whole identity was wrapped up in that. And when you are in the depths of, yes. And when you are in the depths of any kind of eating disorder, um, and there are several, I mean, we, I, I specifically dealt with, um, like I said, anorexia, anorexia, exercise, bulimia, um, having come from being a binge eater, mm-hmm. but there's also like, and, you know, there's disordered eating too, which I think almost everybody will wrestle with at some point or another, where it's not, you know, a technical di- diagnosis, but you're not, there's some, something going on, right. With the way that you're using food. Yeah. And I, I, and I'm sure we'll talk about that too, but like when you're in the depths of it, it is your whole identity. Uh-huh. And I was living, um, it was in fully in control Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's about control. Um, it it was a, I see now that it was like about trying to have control over something, but it's so funny because I was actually completely out of control with it. Like it was ruling me. Um, I skipped social events. I brought my own food to restaurants in Tupperware containers. Um, I couldn't eat anything that wasn't on my safe list. I wouldn't skip the gym. I, I would miss anything uh, to get that in. And so it was a very small, uh, dark, isolated world at that time. Um, 
and that was kind of the depth of it. I was not, just to be clear, I wasn't diagnosed at the time because I wasn't seeing any kind of medical professional or mental health professional. That would come later. Um, But at the time, I was just kind of alone with this thing. So, yeah. And it's like, it's so difficult to, I'm sure, with how front and center diet culture is um Mm -hmm. in society like when you said earlier that everybody probably deals with disordered eating to some degree I I think it stems from that that like we are constantly I mean you know in the days of magazines before social media (laughs) magazines still exist but like who really goes and picks up magazines that often anymore yeah that's like what we used to that's where it used to be right but it was like you pick one up and there's that whole page like hot or not oh my god look at these fat people on the beach can you believe they went outside and looking like that I hate that shit so much but that's where it started I we all read magazines when we were in middle school like that was the thing that we did and like you would see it everywhere and like now I I honestly can't imagine growing up with social media like I and I think that there has been evidence and some studies done showing that like mental health issues and eating disorders and things like that has spiked since the the start of social media especially in adolescence because yeah like humans are not meant to have access to that much information all at once like our the technology has evolved so much more quickly than we have that like we're not meant to be consuming that much information and it's Yeah, I was actually having this exact conversation with somebody yesterday, and it was about social media. Mm -hmm. Um, And first, it absolutely negatively affects mental health. And Mm -hmm. not only has that been acknowledged, but it's also been acknowledged by the creators of Facebook, Instagram. They know, they Mm -hmm. know that this is bad for mental health. Like they have psychologists working with them. They understand what's happening. Um, They they know that this is an addictive or can be, um, an addictive, toxic thing. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the, that's part of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday and it was the same thing. It's like, our brains were not designed Mm -hmm. to try to absorb this much information, um, 24 seven, as well as be exposed to like all kinds of things that we can't help, but compare ourselves to constantly. Um, and it happens and it happens, without even thinking about it because we, we see other people and then it's like, I should be like that. I, you know, I would be happier if I looked like that. I, I'm less than they are. Like it's, it's a, um, it's a mind fuck with fitness influencers too. Like, I feel like that has made it even worse because, you know, they, have all of these followers and all of these likes and all of this content engagement and like that is something that our brains have been conditioned like that's why social media is addictive Mm -hmm. dopamine rush when you get that notification and so you're like oh well this person is skinny and toned and they only eat salads and they work out all the time and look at all the likes they're getting like So if I want that, like I have to look like them and I have to act like them and I have to eat like them. And like, that's not something you're consciously sitting there thinking your brain is just kind of doing that in the background. It just, yeah, it just happens. And I am, I am thankful that 
at the time that I was going through um, all of this, there was, um, I think, you know, Facebook was a thing, but there wasn't like Instagram or anything yeah. like that. There was no TikTok. Um, I'm older, by the way, so I'm 41. So, um, like, just to give, older. just to get, well, just to give people some context, yes. like, I'm not some TikTok and 19 year old, but like, um, yeah. So, like, there was, there was none of that, and I'm, I'm very thankful, uh, for that because. I don't know how much more of a mess that would have been for me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like you said now, even, even in the place that I am now where I, I'll say, um, I, I don't think I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know that this is ever something that you fully recover from. Yeah. I don't know if this is something that, um, you ever really get over. And for me, uh, I've kind of had to accept the reality that this might just always be a hard thing for me. Um, I might never have a fully healed relationship with um, my body or with food. Mm-hmm. It might always be a little bit of a struggle. Yeah. And for a, a while, um, when I you know, started getting therapy and started to understand what it was that was happening, I would kind of like do that thing of shaking my fist at the sky and saying like, damn it. Like, I just, I don't want this to be a thing anymore. I don't want the body stuff anymore. I don't want, I want food to just be a non-issue. Like I want to be one of those people that it's just take it or leave it. And I don't want this to be a thing anymore, but in reality, it's, it's still a thing. Yeah. And I guess over time in therapy, um, and working on my mental health, it became, this might be something that you live with. So is there a way that we can learn to live with this? Just like, um, I might always have anxiety. Mm-hmm. I might always have depression and I don't always like the fa- that fact. And there's a lot of times where I'm like, I'm sick of this. I'm fucking done with it. I don't, when am I going to be cured? Um, I've do- been doing my therapy homework. Like, when is this going to be over? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> this might just be the way it is. Yeah. And I- I've kind of had to settle into like the discomfort of that, Yeah. but also like, all right. Um, if you guys are just along for the ride, how can we, (laughs) how can we make, how can we make this work? Uh, and it's, it's a day by day thing. I I will say it was strange for me. Like, so I had the switch sort of flipped from binge eating to kind of a healthy weight loss pattern to Mm -hmm. anorexia, um, and exercise bulimia. And then it's ironic, but the thing that got me kind of back, I'll say off of that track is that I, I started running and I was at fat at first I was super fast because I was, you know, super skinny and, um, I could run really fast. And so I started having like a couple really fast races Yeah, and I was like, yeah, this is great. Um, and I wanted to start doing some longer distances, mm-hmm. but, and I decided I was going to train for, um, a marathon mm-hmm. and at the beginning of marathon training, 
my body just gave a hard nope. It just <laughs> said, nope, we're done. No, thank you. I, I am not like it. Some And some people can persist sort of in that um, condition. It's called, yeah. for women, there's something called a, a female athlete triad, which is um, not to get too technical, but it's a combination of um, exercise, disordered eating, and things that start to happen to your body, um, bone loss, mm-hmm. all kinds of really scary things, um, heart issues. And uh, there's people that can kind of persist in that state for a long time and continue to function really well athletically. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. <laughs> so I, I st- like, I was on a long run at one point and I just, I had to stop and I had to drag my ass home walking because yeah. my body just, couldn't. it failed. It failed that day. Mm-hmm. It said, Nope. And on the walk back, you know, I was halfway through an out and back run on the way back as I had some time to walk and think mm-hmm. and kind of get myself home. It was like, okay, um, this isn't going to work anymore. So which of these things do I want more right now? Mm-hmm. Do I want to hold on to the control of this eating pattern mm-hmm. that's kind of given me comfort? Or do I want to go after this new goal that I have of, I want to run a damn marathon. And it kind of was just at that moment that I kind of decided like, I've got to, I want to run the marathon. Mm -hmm. And this other thing is, is going to have to just take a backseat to that. And I went home and I remember like I made pasta because runners eat pasta. Right. Mm -hmm. So I like made pasta with you know, turkey and sauce. And my boyfriend was like, what the hell? Like, this isn't what we eat. This isn't what we eat for dinner. And also you don't eat pasta. So what's going on? Yeah. And I, and I kind of told him what happened and I was like, nope, I'm carbon, I'm carving up now because runners need to fuel themselves. And that, that kind of is where I started to climb out of this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, obviously not going to be, it's going to be different for everybody. And yeah. I was, I think I was lucky, um, that I did find something that I loved enough to get me out of that cycle that I was in. Yeah. Um, and it, it was at the time it was running. So, yeah. and it's so funny that you say like, you know, cause this isn't going to be the same for everybody. And for me, like it was my sport mm-hmm. that had me fall into disordered eating habits. Like I already had them for sure. Like I've always kind of been a binge eater my Mm -hmm. whole life. I I eat my feelings, like food tastes good. And like, I feel good when I eat it. And then, you know, I, I get really sick and then we just don't think about that. And then I do it again, but it also became like, you know, um, I'm not sure how much I've talked about this on here, but I was a competitive power lifter for a few years. I hired a coach Um, I was, you know, I signed up for a meet that I was really excited about at this time. I wasn't non, I didn't identify as non-binary. So I, it was, a a, the first like largest all women's meet, um, in the country. And it had like, it was this huge thing that I was really excited about, but like all of the slots had sold out except for the weight class below me. (sighs) 
That's so tricky. Yeah. And I was like, I really want to do this meet. And I was like, you know what? It's only like 10 extra pounds. It's fine. And so I signed up for it and I had a coach who wasn't the best, was just kind of one of those suck it up and just get it done. She also was, and I mean, as a coach, you can speak to this. I I'm not sure what they tell you in your, your certification and everything, but like, unless you have a degree in nutrition in most states, it is illegal to give nutrition plans to people. Oh yeah. Um, fitness professionals, uh, personal trainers can only, if they're acting in their scope, which not all of them do, um, sadly, but personal trainers are only allowed to give very general Mm -hmm. nutritional advice. We are not allowed to, um, prescribe an eating plan for somebody. Um, the people that can do that are registered dietitians. Those are the people who go to school for this for a long time and they are professionals when it comes to food. Um, And I will get on a minor soapbox about this because (laughs) if a personal trainer is giving you a meal plan, that person is acting outside of what they are allowed to do as a personal trainer. If a nutritionist, quote unquote, um, on the internet is giving you a meal plan, that person is not in their scope of practice. A registered dietitian is the person who can help you with a meal plan. No one else should be telling you what, you know, general advice is fine, um, but there's nobody that should be telling you this is what you need to eat because that's outside of what we're trained for. And that's Um, the reason that like, you know, everybody is different. And Mm -hmm. that's the reason for that, because like, you can't apply general nutrition advice to everyone. It's not going to work for everybody. And, you know, I had a really bad experience of a personal trainer slash coach who was prescribing me basically a meal plan. Like I was macros, but she was like, don't eat this. Don't eat this. Make sure you're doing this. Make sure you're doing this. And I, for a year, was tracking every single thing that went through my lips and, um, like same thing. It was chicken and rice and vegetables every day. I wasn't Mm -hmm. any olive oil. I wasn't using any butter. Everything was bland. I hated it. It (laughs) And then I would go binge because I was like, I miss having all the food I like. And so on days that my partner wasn't home, like if he had to work overtime on a Saturday, I'd go to the corner store, get a bag full of junk food. And then I would eat it all and hide the wrappers somewhere where he wouldn't see them because I was ashamed that I went and ate all of that stuff when I was cutting and on a diet. Right. So like, that's where it's so tricky that like, yes, you know, it, it's all in the name of being healthy. Like it's all in the name of just, just a few pounds. So I can fit into this weight class and I'm exercising every day for multiple hours every day. So like, there's no way I can't, I'm unhealthy. Right. Um, yeah, because we see that because society sees that as being an acceptable, mm-hmm. um, addiction, even, you know, yeah. it, there, if you, if you are obsessive about eating healthy, it's not seen as, um, orthoexia, which it actually is, but it's seen as 
wow, you're good, or you're clean, or you're so pure. There's like a moral high ground to it. Exactly. And if you are addicted to exercise, then, you know, you're a badass or you're hardcore or something. When in reality, no, you're addicted to exercise and you might be dealing with an eating disorder or mental health disorder. And that was for me, I was so addicted to powerlifting. Yeah. It was my whole life. My whole identity was powerlifting. And then like, the eating thing came up and like my other mental health issues cropped up. And then after a while, like I realized that I was putting so much of myself into powerlifting as a way to escape from my problems, Yeah, (laughs) Um, but it's an acceptable outlet. And like, I had my social media curated. So I was following all these professional competitive powerlifters. And so I'm in this bubble seeing other people who their whole life is the gym, their whole life is the weights, their whole life is their, their macros. And so it seemed normal to me. And now that I kind of stepped out of that, I'm like, wow, that was like, not really healthy of me to be so all into the sport like that. Yeah, if it becomes, I mean, it becomes your identity and it would have looked a lot different if say, rather than going into a gym, you were going into a casino and gambling every day for hours and hours and hours, someone in your life would have probably said, hey, you might have a problem here, but it's much less likely for somebody to say to you, hey, you have a problem here when you're doing something like exercise, which is seen as so healthy. And I, yeah. I had anybody be like, wow, that maybe isn't so, they would compliments all the time. Wow. Exactly. That's so amazing. I could never do it. And then like, that makes you feel good. It boosts your ego. You're like, wow, I'm doing these things that other people like can't do. And like, you're so disciplined, right? Oh my God. I hate that whole, like, oh my God, that whole rhetoric and like discipline. There's no, there's no such thing as like being motivated. It's called being disciplined. Like motivation comes and goes like, yeah, you know, you can be as disciplined as you want, but like, you know, it's, you can't be rigid like that either. And that's the thing is that addiction to exercise, that addiction to attaining a certain physique or that addiction to controlling what you're eating, it can get out of control really, really, really quickly. Yeah. And I so agree. And so it, it really needs to change too. Um, because I do, and again, it's all in the doses, right? So like, I do think sometimes when I'm not motivated, but I am disciplined, right? I am disciplined now to take care of my health. Mm-hmm. Notice that it's not I'm disciplined to get my ass in the gym and bust my ass. It's I'm disciplined to take care of my health, which means sometimes I sleep instead of going to the gym. Mm -hmm. Sometimes like I am not following a certain diet. Sometimes I'm taking an extra rest day because that's what I feel like I need. Mm -hmm. And I I think as a trainer, um, I don't, I don't often see, you know, what people are doing in terms of food, but I do see what they're doing in terms of exercise. And I can't tell you how many times I've had the conversation with somebody of, um, you, you really shouldn't be working out every day, multiple times a day, as hard as you can. And people are like, what do you, what do you mean? Like no days off. That's, that's the thing. Like I saw it on Instagram, like no days off you should. And it's like, well, you have to recognize that with exercise, um, you're, 
you're breaking yourself down. You're breaking down muscle, That's right? That's literally what, what exercise. When you're in the gym. Yeah. So, you, you know, in order to grow it, it's sort of, it's this kind of intricate process, but you're, you're creating damage in order to mm-hmm. heal and come back stronger. Mm-hmm. That happens outside of the gym. Right. And so if you're never taking any time off, you're not giving yourself time to heal. Mm-hmm. And I could get away with that a lot more when I was younger. Um, but now there it's like, no, my body's not having it. Like you're taking a rest day. And I've had to have that conversation with so many people. And yeah. that's hard too, because um, I get, when I have to take rest days, I get I get cranky and it exacerbates some of my other mental health issues. I start to feel my anxiety picking up because I start to feel like, oh, I, I, you know, I I feel lazy and I start to call myself names. I start to feel I'm lazy today or I'm, you know, I'm being like, I'm bad today. I always would fall back on like, oh, I'm being a lazy piece of shit today. Yes. I'm a lazy piece of shit. Um, for me, it's like, I'm going to fall back into my old, old patterns of, Mm -hmm. you know, being lazy, never exercising. I'm going to start, I'm going to gain weight again. Like I'll start doing that, um, in my head. And then I also, because you're not getting that endorphin hit and like the feel good chemicals that comes with exercise, you kind of are just like, and I, my depression, then my depression starts to really rear up. And then, so like rest days that are supposed to be relaxing and fun. I spend at least some portion of the day having to talk myself out of the sort of depressive spiral or the anxiety of like, you're bad, you're lazy. Like, and that, that part's hard too. And I don't think that, I don't think we really talk about that. Um, but just like, it's funny. Cause like, just like you have to sometimes, um, dig deep to get through a really challenging workout sometimes you have to dig deep to get through sitting on your ass on the couch you know because it's like I'm not lazy I'm recovering I'm not lazy I'm recovering and like I I, you you hate it and you're you're mad and you're angry and you're depressed but you have to dig deep and do nothing (laughs) something that really parallels to my mental health journey very well like taking mental health days is something where I'm like I'm lazy. Oh my, I can't, I need to be doing things. I need to like go do. Th- and it's the same. That's like the rest day for your brain. And like, I, I always get caught in that cycle of like, Oh my God, I'm just being lazy. Like I should just suck it up and I should go. And I had that same mindset when I was really into powerlifting. Like I hated rest days. I had the same thing. I was miserable on them. I always kind of ended up doing something still, yeah. even though yeah. I shouldn't have been. And you know, I, I kind of 180 like I hit the point where powerlifting wasn't fun for me anymore because I had made it so obsessive and I had made it like just like this thing like I wasn't just getting up to move my body anymore like I had to chase certain numbers I had to get in a certain weight class I had to do these certain things and honestly I like last August of 2021 fired my coach. Like I didn't fire it, but I was like, I'm not going to continue paying for you to, um, just have me not lift all week. Cause for almost all summer last summer, I would like pay for the month of programming and then like end up going to the gym like twice. 
And I'm not going to ask her for money back. Be like, oh, I didn't actually do those workouts. So can I have my, like, that's not fair to her. She's still programmed and did her half of it. So I got to, you know, I was like, I'm not, I can't do this anymore. And I haven't really worked out consistently for almost a year. And so now it's like, you know, I'm on the other end of it where I'm like, well, now it's, 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 it takes too much time to go X. And I think part of me is afraid that I'm going to fall back into that obsessive cycle. Um, yeah, because what happens is I, I did the same thing, I think, with um, with when I started running. Um, and for a while, I was a distance runner. And I thought of myself as like, oh, I'm a runner. And I run races. And mm-hmm. I run marathons or half marathons or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then um, I started to just kind of fall out of love with that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, it didn't really appeal to me as much. And I wanted to do other things. And I started to get more into like... Um, you know, lifting and other, other stuff like that. And I, I wasn't wanting to do it anymore, but I really had a a thought in myself of who am I, if I'm not this, like, who am I, if I'm not a distance runner or Uh in in your case, a power lifter, Uh who am I, if I'm not that? Yeah. And I think that to come really full circle on it is like, probably what I was running from all along (laughs) is who, who am I under, who am I under everything else? Who am I under the binging? Who am I under the restriction? Who am I under, under the obsession, under the running, under the exercising? Like who is under there? Mm -hmm. Who is she? um, And what does she need? And what is she hiding from? And Cause in a way it was all, um, it was all sort of an escape, right. Mm-hmm. From something. And this is sort of where I sit now mm-hmm. is in the place of like, okay, I do, you know, I do these things and I have these different identities as a coach or a trainer, or, um, you know, I, I, I still exercise a lot and it's still a big part of my life, but like, who am I outside of what I do? Yes. Right. And, um, and like, you are not yeah. just what you do and you are not just your productivity. Yeah. And I'm not my achievements, mm-hmm. right? Like I, and I'm not, because, you know, this followed a similar path too with like my career or my education. It's like, well, I'm in school or mm-hmm. I'm in this training or I'm training yeah. for this or I'm training for a marathon or I'm getting my master's or whatever. It's like, when that's all done, um, now what? <laughs> what's the next thing? Right. And at a certain point, it's like, can I just chill and be where I am mm-hmm. and not have to be chasing another level of like some idealized thing that I have? Can I just be me and be okay with that? Yeah. And I, and I think the answer is sometimes. <laughs> working on it. Yeah, yeah I sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. And like I, you know, adjusting now to like even now, um, it's been years, but it's like I feel um like I walk through the world. We mentioned body dysmorphia, but like yeah. I walk through the world feeling like a a giant person who takes up so much space. Yeah. And there's, there's always been a thing in me of, cause like I said, I'm also tall. Mm-hmm. It's like, be smaller, um, shrink. Yeah, 
Oh, I had horrible posture. My entire, Mm -hmm. um, like the first 20 years of 30 years of my life. I mean, because I always was wanting to shrink into myself. I would shift over to one hip, um, to kind of make myself a little bit shorter and I would round my shoulders and drop my head and just like want to collapse into myself. And cause I just felt like you're big, you're taking up space and women aren't supposed to be that way. Um, and now it's like, I, I, and I wrestle with this and I'm currently wrestling. Like I'm not, I'm not under, not trying to pull some, like, there's no guise of I'm perfect now, or I've figured it all out. Um, right now, my issue is that I, in the past year, I really was focused on, I want to build muscle. And so really being, um, very, dedicated to lifting heavy and fueling myself. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I built muscle, um, over the past year, uh, quite a few pounds. Mm-hmm. And so the scale has gone up mm-hmm. that amounts thing. of muscle. Like I've gained X amount of muscle and the scale has gone up by X pounds. Um, I hated that. Mm-hmm. I hated that, but I did exactly what I was trying to do. So it's this parallel track yeah. in my head of like, I want to get bigger and stronger, but I need to be small and not take up space. Yeah. And I'm really trying to step into the place of, no, I'm going to take up the space that I need. And I want to be strong as opposed to being small and whatever that ends up looking like, or I should say whatever number that ends up being on a scale it's gotta, it's gotta be okay. And I'm not someone that I'm not a big, like you have to love your body at all times person, Mm -hmm. because I don't think that's, I don't think it's a realistic goal. No, I I don't think it's a realistic goal. I I think some people are very into like the body love, self-love, the body positivity. Yeah. And I think that's, if that works for you, great. But I would come at it from the perspective of you're not going to love your yeah. body every day. You're not, that's a really, um, that's a really aggressive goal to shoot yeah. for. And, and so I it's think- more, it's more just like tolerance for me. It's like, can yeah. I be okay with like body neutrality? I would exactly. say. I was just going to say that that's a term that has been popping up a lot more recently. Like not body positivity, body neutrality, because like, you know, with the, the term body positivity, positive is a judgment, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that ties into all of that, you know, like if you're exercising, that's good. That's great. Like you don't want to be applying judgments to these things. Like you live in your body every day. We shouldn't be saying I have a good body or I have a bad body. Like I just have a body and some days I feel great about it. And some days I don't feel great about it. And some days I don't feel it the best way I should. And some days I do. And some days I, you know, need a little extra rest. And some days I really want to go extra hard in the gym. And like, I think when you are able to remove the judgment from those types of things, that's where you really start to fix your relationship with your body and with food and with exercise when you, you, you don't, uh, align it with morality in some way or another. Yeah, I totally agree. And I just, I, I, having been through, I would say like 
what I've been through in terms of the food issues and the body issues and the gaining massive amounts of weight and then losing massive amounts of weight. And at some, somewhere in there, I did have, um, I had surgery to remove some, cause I had a ton of loose skin. I still have loose skin, but I had a ton of loose skin on my stomach. And so yeah. I did have, um, surgery to repair and remove some of that. But even, even after that, like I still have, my body shows that it has been through big changes. Mm-hmm. Like there's no hiding that my skin has, and I have to give my body some credit for this because I've taken it through a wild ride Mm -hmm. and it shows the evidence of that. There's stretch marks, there's loose skin, there are scars. Um, I've expanded, I've contracted, I've expanded again. I've, you know, I've lost bone, I've built bone, I've lost muscle, I've built muscle. It's been like a crazy ride with this, with this body. And, and I can see that my body will never look like somebody who, um, has never battled with their weight. It it's, I can see it. I look in the mirror. Sometimes it's the first thing I see or all the, what I perceive as flaws or imperfections. Um, again, that might always be present. I don't expect to wake up someday and say like, well, I just love everything about myself and everything is great. And I'm full of nothing but love. Like that's, that's not going to happen. So I, I, I really just think it comes down to the way that you manage, um, anything else, whether it's a mental health issue or anything else is just kind of like, I'm going to do the best I can today. And knowing, knowing that that will look different than maybe what I did yesterday Mm -hmm. and knowing that tomorrow might be different, but like in this moment, I'm trying to just be okay with it all. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, and it's hard. And I think more and more of us are kind of going towards that direction. I think that collectively society is starting to recognize how harmful a lot of these social norms are to us. And like, um, we have so many people that get stuck in that all or nothing thinking and that like you have to be super happy with everything all the time or you know love everything about yourself or be doing everything perfectly and like following your diet plan and your exercise regimen like to the t and it's not realistic it's not it's, realistic life not happens realistic. Yeah. things change goals change priorities change the way you identify changes like I remember I was having a huge identity crisis when I started not to enjoy powerlifting. And I was like, well, what the hell am I if I'm not a powerlifter? And like in that moment, I'm realizing how unhealthy my relationship with the sport was that like I was that was the only thing that was good in my life and the only thing I could rely on. And, you know, it's been really hard to unlearn that. Um, But you know, I think we are moving towards being more accepting of that and just kind of, you know, treating our bodies like what they are, their bodies, they change, they morph, they, they are there to support us and to keep all of our organs protected and, you know, all these different things. And I think, you know, I'm seeing that rhetoric more and more. Um, And I did have a question about your experience with disordered eating and how that has influenced how you Mm -hmm your coaching and your, your personal training, like, has it changed your, 
um, perspective or how you interact with clients in any way? So I, yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I think that um, a couple things, I think having been through what I've been through um, in terms of having been someone who has been very, very overweight and terrified to step into a gym, mm -hmm. I think I can, um, I think that's made me a better coach because mm -hmm. I can, I can empathize with people who are taking that first step uh, to that path to start some kind of exercise program because I, I remember exactly what that was like. You know, my first gym was a Planet Fitness and um, I had a horrible experience with someone who looked me up and down like I was, you know, just a disgusting piece of shit. And um, my all that I could do, the furthest I could do or the heart, the longest I could go was like six minutes on the elliptical machine and I was done. And so I think having been there, um, has made me a better coach because I can understand where people are coming from. Mm -hmm. I think um, it's made me more able to recognize the signs of people who yeah. are um, turning something into a more unhealthy uh, obsession or, or pattern. I can see people who um, are not giving themselves proper rest. Mm -hmm. I hear the, um, frankly, abusive language that people use to talk about themselves, mm -hmm. um, and other people, uh, the horrible fine. things they, the horrible things they say about their bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I don't see as much, I, I try not to get into the food piece too much other than very general advice, but I hear, you know, I hear things, um, I hear, you know, you, people saying I need to be, I, I need to be fasting for this or this many hours and, or, or so-and-so is doing keto. So I need to do keto. And I think, um, I'm able to recognize that stuff more quickly. And I, I just want people to know that even if we all were given the same, um, the same exact diet or meal plan and the same exact exercise, we would all end up looking different. Mm -hmm. Um, even if we were all doing the exact same thing, yep. because we're all different and our bodies are different. And so what works for somebody else will not necessarily work for you. What works for the influence influencer on Instagram, who is, you know, 20 and has a genetic makeup that allows them to, you know, have visible abs or whatever it is, is not necessarily going to be you. And that's also not even necessarily a real, right? So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think having been on, I guess, really all over the spectrum in terms of the disordered eating, I, I can recognize it more quickly. Um, and I think that, or at least I like to think that it helps me bring more empathy to the job because I'm not a coach who, is going to say like, you know, work until you are fucking puking in that bucket. Like I'm not that kind of coach. Um, I'm not a coach that's ever going to say like, you need to burn off what you ate over Thanksgiving. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm not a coach. I'm, <laughs> I'm not a coach that's going to say like, 
it's guys it's spring we have to get ready for the beach and we have to get our beach bodies and shit like that's bullshit that's never going to come out of my mouth and so I, I think that yeah in that way I think my my history has um influenced the way that I coach and I yeah. that's why I got into it mm-hmm. um that's why I got into this fitness world is like having kind of been through it all um I did find a real true and healthy passion in this world of like wellness and, and fitness, but in a way that's very, um, that feels very strong to me and healthy and empowered. And I love helping people, um, or seeing people and and helping them to reach their goals in a way that's positive and strong and uplifting. And so I I try to create a space where it's not about, you know, we're all, we're all pieces of shit and we need to beat ourselves up into submission and burn off all the junk food. It's like, no, this is the place where this is our time and our space to get stronger. And I, I hope that, um, I hope that I've cultivated that or, or that I, I will continue to try to to approach it in, in that way. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to have it all figured out. And I can't attest to it personally. Like you've never coached me. I've never gone to any of your classes, but just from seeing, you know, the, the things that you share online and hearing stories from Sam and the way that you approach coaching, I think you're doing a really good job of it. And I'm really glad. (laughs) You're welcome. I'm really glad that there are people like you in the fitness industry who come at it with, you know, a more holistic, a more kind, empathetic approach, um, because I really think that's what we're missing. And, you know, it's, it's easy to pretend like you're an expert at these things, like anybody can, you know, make a a reel or a TikTok or whatever that makes you look like you know what you're doing. And, you know, having people who are being really real and being like, it's, it's not that easy, like it is hard. And, I have to, I have to combat my feelings about this all the time. And like, I, I really commend you for being so open and honest about that because it's something that I know so many people struggle with and, um, we don't talk about nearly as often as we should. Yeah. Well, right back at you. And I know, I mean, you're a scientist, I know (laughs) this, so it's the same with science, right? It, it, things evolve as we learn more. And it's the same way with fitness. Um, things that we used to think 20, 30, 40 years ago in terms of fitness and wellness and health have changed and we learn new things and we learn new things that are effective for, um, improving our health and never trust a coach who says I have it all figured out and I'm the expert and nothing will ever change my mind because it's like, no, this is an evolving sports and wellness and fitness is an evolving science, just like, you know, actual science. And as things, as we learn and develop new things, we find out new techniques and we're trying and we're evolving. And, um, it's don't ever listen to people who are like, I'm the expert. I've got it all figured out. Cause that signals to me like a real unwillingness to learn and grow. And that's dangerous. So Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, this was super great though. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I also, so we mentioned briefly how registered dietitians should be the only people giving you specific meal plans. Yeah. We have a registered dietitian who's going to come on and talk about. So great. Yeah. Um, I, 
I recommend that all the time to people who, um, you know, in the, in the gym are like, okay, I'm meeting my fitness goals, but I still need some help with the food stuff. Um, I always say, a registered dietitian and check to see if, if you're fortunate enough to have health insurance, um, yeah. always check to see if that's something that is at least partially covered by your health insurance, because you might be surprised. Um, you might be able to get, uh, some of that covered. So I always have people check with that. Yeah. And so yeah. like, I really thought it was important to get perspective of someone who has been through this and works in the industry and then also to have like the more clinical side of it. So, um, thank you for sharing your story. I know it's, um, I mean, you have your own podcast, so you know how, how difficult it is to come on and be vulnerable and like put it all out on the plate. But I, I think that this is really going to help a lot of people. Um, and- thank you. Well, I hope so. And I, I think I really commend you for what you're doing too. And just, same like right back at you I mean it's hard to be vulnerable but at this point I think it gets easier like I've put all my stuff I've put all my stuff out there I don't I'm kind of an open book so like because and and not to prolong this anymore but I I feel like I'm not ashamed of it anymore right Mm -hmm. like I I don't need to hide it because I'm not ashamed of it Mm -hmm. I it's like I struggled with this stuff I still struggle um and that's okay. So we can talk about it. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's lovely. Yeah. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for coming. Um, tune in for the next episode where we're going to have, uh, my friend, Laura registered dietitian, come on and talk about this from, with a, a different lens. Um, so with that, you want to start signing us off, Jen? Absolutely. So trying to get through the menti bees. Keep crying in those shubbies. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>for joining for another episode you can find the podcast on social media on instagram at crying and trying underscore pod on facebook at crying and trying pod and on twitter at crying underscore trying underscore pod you can also find me personally on instagram at lex underscore g-o-n underscore give it to you and that is the number two if you'd like to email us our email address is crying and trying pod at gmail.com Feel free to send us questions, comments, episode suggestions, or any other feedback you have. I truly love interacting with the listeners, and your input is vital to helping the show grow. If you know anybody who would benefit by listening, or who could even be a great guest, please share the podcast with them. The best ways to help a small independent podcast grow is to rate, review, and subscribe so other listeners can find us. You can also help by liking, commenting, and sharing our posts on social media to help grow the community. If you'd like to support the show with a small monthly donation, you can do so on our podcast page. This is just a placeholder until I'm able to get our Patreon up and running, but every small donation is appreciated. I'm also a proud member of the PodPros community and utilize PodMatch to connect with many amazing guests. This podcast is researched, produced, and edited by me, Lexi Hamsmith, using Anchor by Spotify.